I'm Hillary. And I'm Emily. And we're the, the Sirens. Sirens. Today we're going to talk about the movie The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, which is a comedy from 1947 that stars Shirley Temple as a teenager, Myrna Loy and Cary Grant. Um, Myrna Loy and Shirley Temple play sisters who, um, who live together. Myrna Loy is Shirley Temple's guardian. Um, and Cary Grant is a... Um, miscreant <laughs> and playboy who uh who shows up in um margaret the older sister's court um and then also as the speaker at um shirley temple school um romance ensues um, romances of which there are several of which there are several <laughs> <laughs> and soon. um so i can tell you a little bit of trivia about this Film. There wasn't a lot, and I don't know if it was because they were protecting child privacy or something <laughs> like that, but um, I found that it was interesting. Apparently, Myrna Loy was 23 years older than Shirley mm-hmm. Temple when this movie was made, but they were... I mean, I guess it's feasible that sisters could be that far apart, but... Um, yeah, she was 42, and, Tem- and um, Shirley Temple was 19. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which, boy, did she look great for 42. Yeah. Um, I want to look that great when I'm 42. Yes, we all are. Um, despite being the Bobby Soxer, Shirley Temple actually wore stockings for most of the film. Although <laughs> I did spot some Bobby socks <laughs> at certain points. On her high school classmates. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Screen Guild Theater broadcast a 30-minute radio adaptation of the movie on May 10th, 1948, which had Cary Grant, Myrna Loy, and Shirley Temple reprising their roles. Ooh. And I think there was a special feature on the DVD that... Had it? Yeah. Oh. But I didn't listen to it. I should um, listen to it. And the man with the power routine was the inspiration for the song yes. Magic Dance in Labyrinth. Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was also adapted into a song lyric of the Atomic Fireballs, Man with the Hex, during the swing revival of the 90s. Uh-huh. So, I've definitely heard that routine before, and I just never knew that it was from this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I meant to do a little bit of research, speaking of trivia, um, to see what it would have taken um, Margaret Turner to uh, what she would have had to do to become a judge in the 1940s, because it seems so unusual um, yeah. that a woman would be a judge. Um, in the 1940s, but I mean, and at such a young age too. Usually, yeah, people have a longer law, like career practicing law, and mm-hmm. become judge. And she, I don't know if she was supposed to be. I assume she was supposed to be younger than 42 in the movie. But yeah. if she was supposed to be in her 30s and a judge, and a woman at that time, yeah. that's pretty badass. Yeah, although I guess there was there were some like references to the fact that her father was a judge and yeah. her grandfather was a judge and her uncles were judges and so maybe there's just a bunch of nepotism and that's how she got <laughs> to be a judge. Um, she was supposed to be the boy. <laughs> I did find some interesting trivia about Shirley Temple herself, not just about this film, but there were all these conspiracy theories around her because people couldn't believe that she was so young and such a big star. Really? This like earlier than at the time this movie was made, but when she was little and she was starring on all these movies, there was a widespread conspiracy that she was actually a dwarf. What? <laughs> and that she 
just because people would obsessively look to see like if her baby teeth were coming out and they'd be like she never loses her teeth she can't be a real child and <laughs> and there were all these other theories about that she if she was an adult they had filed down her adult teeth to look like child teeth it was crazy i, I even read that they had a dispatch like someone was sent from the vatican to confirm that she actually was a child <laughs> I was like, poor Charlotte Temple. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> then luckily she grew up. She yeah. got taller. So she was not a dwarf. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess this is a good segue to a little bit about her life. So, as we all know, Shirley Temple was considered the most popular and famous child star of all time. And I think that goes through till today. She was born in 1928 in Santa Monica, California, and she got her start in the movies at age three. She could act, sing, and dance by five, and she quickly became a huge star. Fans were attracted to her bright, bouncy, cheerful ways, especially during the Great Depression when people were looking for an outlet. And she was the top-earning box office actor in the mid-1930s, beating out like all the other big stars that we've discussed, (laughs) including Cary Grant, who's in this movie. Um, Fans bought millions of dollars worth of products that had her likeness on them. And actually, this made me remember that I had a Shirley Temple doll when I was a kid that had been my mother's doll. (laughs) So... um, She received a special Juvenile Academy Award in February 1935 for her outstanding contribution as a juvenile performer to motion pictures during 1934. And this was around the time that she did Curly Top and Heidi. But by 1939, she started to decline in popularity. She still started some movies in her teen years, like Since She Went Away and The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. But her career was on the decline, and she retired from film at 22. But as an adult, she was an ambassador to Ghana and Czechoslovakia, and she served as the chief protocol of the United States. And she was married twice, and her second marriage to Charles Alden Black lasted 54 years. Um, In 1972, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she was one of the first prominent women to speak openly about it to sort of destigmatize it and she survived that but died in 2014 at 85 from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease but so that's a result of smoking and she she and her family always kept it secret that she smoked because she didn't want to influence any fans um and she's won you know, tons of awards, including the Kennedy Center Honors and Screen Actors Guild Lifetime Achievement Award. So I grew up watching a lot of her movies. I watched, especially Heidi and A Little Princess, I watched a lot. I haven't seen either of those. And I, um, for anyone listening who can't see us, (laughs) I have curly hair. And when I was little, people used to call me Shirley Temple. And I would sing her songs from the movies when I did, like, local theater auditions and stuff. (laughs) So she has a special place in my heart. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that this movie has two, um, like, sort of pop stars, early pop stars, because um, it also includes Rudy Valley, who is regarded by some as the... the first um, pop star and the teen idol of his era, era, era which was a little bit before um, 
Shirley Temple, obviously. Um, so he plays the assistant district attorney um, in The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Um, but he started his career as a singer and a band leader. Um, in fact, well, and then as this teen idol. And um, a 1929 magazine wrote that at the microphone, he is truly a romantic figure. Faultlessly attired in evening dress, he pours softly into the radio's delicate ear a stream of mellifluous melody. Mm -hmm. He appears to be coaxing, pleading, and at the same time adoring the invisible one to whom his song is attuned. Um, he also is credited as being um, one of the first um, of what became a new style of singing, um, the crooner, which, of course, in the 50s, lots of people would... Um, um, be called um, this was the the style of crooning um, was made possible and popular by the radio um, he was born Hubert Pryor Valley in um, Vermont in 1901 um, and raised in Maine um, his parents were born in the United States but all of his grandparents were immigrants um, he enlisted in he enlisted in World War One in 1917, um, but was discharged when the Navy discovered he was only 15. Um, he spent the rest of his high school years um, playing clarinet and saxophone in a variety of bands around all of New England, um, and then um, in 1924 and 1925 he played um, in the Savoy um, Havana Band at the Savoy Hotel in London. Um, and when that run was through, he um, returned to the U.S. and got a degree in philosophy from Yale, oh. as you do. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> he apparently was a, um, a, lo a loyal Yaley for his entire rest mm. of his life. Go Bulldogs. That's right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so it was after that he graduated from Yale that he formed a band called Rudy Valley and the Connecticut Yankees, um, and that was the point at which he renamed himself um, after uh, a saxophonist named Rudy Vidot? I don't know. Um, so, so he was one of the first pop stars. Um, he was apparently routinely mobbed by flappers, which <laughs> is such a great image. <laughs> he, so he was, he was popular through the 1930s, but um, um, by the end of that decade, his voice had grown considerably deeper, um, and it which was particularly noticeable because he he had gotten famous as a crooner with a gentle tenor voice, mm -hmm. um, and so by the time he was middle aged, he had um, like a profound baritone. Um, his last hit song was a 1943 reissue of "As Time Goes By" mm -hmm. from Casablanca, um, and. Um, and then world, during World War II, he um, sort of took a break from performing and enlisted in the Coast Guard um, to help direct the Coast Guard band um, as a chief petty officer. Um, and eventually led, um, you know, he led the band throughout the war and was promoted to lieutenant's um, status, I guess. Um, and then in 1944, he was placed on the inactive list and returned to radio. Um, he had started acting in the late 1920s um, just to cash in on his singing popularity. Um, and those first performances were apparently pretty terrible and pretty wooden. Um, but he got better over time. 
Um, and so by the 1940s, or the late 1940s, um, when he appeared in Bachelor and the Bobby Saxer, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, and he, he actually had a lot of success as a comedic supporting player um, of the style that he played in Bachelor and the Bobby Saxer. Um, he was well known for having a quick temper and for using foul language, especially during rehearsals. And there were plenty of stories on the internet of him like getting into fist fights with, <laughs> with other performers. I hope he was nice to Shirley Temple. I hope he was too. <laughs> um, uh, he died of cancer. Um, in 1986 while watching the televised centennial ceremonies of the restored Statue of Liberty. Um, And his wife said that his last words were, I wish we could be there. You know how I love a party. (laughs) Those are great last words. (laughs) Um, That's great. So, Hilary, you picked this movie. Is this something you grew up watching Mm -hmm. yeah I I think I mean I grew up watching a lot of Cary Grant movies and I think by I and early on I fell in love with the Thin Man movies so I think this was an obvious um uh movie to graduate to when my my, I think my dad was at a loss for what (laughs) what to watch with me and Mm -hmm. and after this movie but I I mean I've seen this movie dozens of times (laughs) um and um but it was interesting to watch this movie for the podcast to think about it from a social justice point of view, just to think about how this movie has a female judge. They have a black housekeeper who's clearly the, like, the, like, sort of a linchpin in, mm-hmm. in the family, keeping them, keeping these two um, sisters sort of on the road to success. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, just thinking about, like, the justice system in the, mm-hmm. in the 1940s is sort of a, a, a new spin for me to think about it. What did you think about watching it the first time? I liked it. Um, I was I watched it on the plane, so uh, I was laughing aloud at certain points because Shirley Temple was so hilarious trying to be sophisticated. Yeah. And Cary Grant, I think, is great in comedic roles. I like him much better in comedies than when he has, like, depressing roles. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes. I mean, it was a little strange watching it from a modern perspective, the fact that he was sort of forced to date this teenage Mm -hmm. girl. It was a little bit weird. And then nobody (laughs) in, like, this... Even though this is the ridiculous thing that the court has made him do... Even in the surrounding community, nobody says anything like, oh, why is this? I don't know how old he was supposed to be. I assumed yeah, like 40. 40. But why is this 40-year-old dating this like 17-year-old girl? Yeah. Um, and whereas I feel like today, it, that would raise a ton of red flags and people would be like calling the police. Yeah. And- Although it was refreshing. I thought that he, he was like adamantly, he thought it was absurd and didn't yeah. want to have anything to do with, do with it. And... He, like, just was unequivocally not interested in, in, in a 16-year-old. Yeah, I thought that was nice. I mean, that's something that I think was kind of different about that time that you mm-hmm. can see in these movies in that, um, in some ways, I feel like youth was less idealized than it is today in popular culture. Mm-hmm. And 
people very much wanted like a sophisticated woman or like mm-hmm. a, you know an elegant man and like people who were established and dressed well and knew how to behave yeah. and all of that stuff and I feel like no one cares about that ever now it's all just like I want her to be 18 and hot like <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I, I appreciated that about this and um I sort of had a hard time buying the romance between him and Margaret. Yeah. Like, it seemed like a very abrupt turn that all of a sudden she liked him. Suddenly she was seeing him as in the knight in shining armor. Yeah. And some of the gender politics of the movie... And like, when it first opened and I saw this, like, female judge who was also raising her sister, I was like, this is great. And it wasn't even, like, a big issue of the movie. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple com- like comments about how Margaret needed a man, and and Carrie Grant says at one point she needs a good like slap in the jaw, and yeah. then her <laughs> uncle agrees, and I was like, what? <laughs> she's like, she's a freaking judge, <laughs> I, and I kind of didn't understand what she was drawn to about him because. If we're to believe his background is sort of what's presented, he's sort of like a ne'er-do-well artist who mm-hmm. sleeps with a bunch of women. Women, yeah. So, like, what is the appeal to both each of them about the other one? Yeah, I mean, she even says, you know, she, like, when they're, um, like, trying to have some conversation, she says, uh, you know, I've never been subjected to so much charm before, and it's, like, it's delivered in such a way that you believe that she is, like... She's a stern judge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, later on, as she's trying to, like, figure out why she's falling in love with him, she's like, you know, I don't deal in emotions, I deal in facts. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, like, here she falls in love with this guy who is, who's not, like, at all in her league, really. Except he's supposed to be this famous artist. But. Yeah, I found, and, and I did not like how they had her see him in the armor like as if you know once a woman falls in love all she really wants is her knight in shining armor armor, even if she's a judge yeah (laughs) i was uh, so that part i didn't buy so much but i actually not romantically but i thought carrie grant had good chemistry with shirley (coughs) temple excuse me (laughs) um but she did seem kind of annoyed that she was falling in love in love Myrna Alloys. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought so. Um, I also was sort of struggling to understand what his <laughs> game was. Like, during the obstacle course thing, yeah. I was like, is he trying to lose? Is he trying to... Like, I couldn't under... I, at, at certain parts, I was... It was clear that he was doing things to turn off... Um, what was her name? Shirley Temple's name? Um, Susan. Susan. He, so he was trying to <laughs> deliberately turn her off. But then I was thinking if he really wanted to turn her off, wouldn't it be good to make him seem like, you know, a sad old man and, like, lose ever, lose the races because yeah. he's, like, old? Yeah. Well, there were, like, dueling dynamics in the races because then Shirley Temple, or Susan paid off her, you know, the boyfriend that she spurns. Yeah. Um you know, paid him to go pay, you know, all the other guys in the obstacle course to let him win. Yeah. Except for they didn't pay off um, Tommy, the assistant district attorney, which I just think it's hilarious that he's the assistant district attorney. He's not the district yeah. attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that here again, like Margaret's like only other love interest is this guy who's like not quite the district attorney. Yeah. He's like none of these men actually measure up to her. <laughs> I was curious about the, her their family backstory and what happened to the parents and yeah. how she ended up raising her sister. Um, because that's a big responsibility. Yeah. So. And like they have Uncle Thaddeus, the judge, and Uncle Matt, the psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> who are sort of, you know, there. They said her mom her mom was an attorney or their mom was an attorney and their dad was a judge and they met in like law school, which is even more incredible to think yeah. that they would get married. Somebody has to be the pioneer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um <clears throat> What did you think of the supposed psychology behind, oh, you have to let her date this guy so she's not scarred by it? Yeah, I mean... It just sounded ridiculous ridiculous. to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. Like, ultimately, this is a vehicle for Myrna Loy and and Cary Grant to fall in love. (laughs) Yeah. To end up on the plane together. Yes. (laughs) That ending was something where they just, they're both on the, like, they both are going on the same plane, and they're just, they just don't even resolve anything and just, like, walk on the plane together. You remind me of men. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Yeah. I loved the scene when they're at the club, when Cary Grant and Myrna Loy, you know, are, are going to the club to try and, like, resolve the fact that they are actually well, Margaret is basically asking him on a, has asked him on this date without asking him on, on the date mm-hmm. to go talk about Susan and whatever, and they end up in this whole like complicated party scene where like Susan shows up and the boyfriend shows up and you know the, there are these other um, characters from the fight at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie and. Um, you know, and then the chair gets pulled away, and, mm-hmm. and 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 it's so complicated and complex, and just so hilarious. Yeah. I thought that scene in particular was very well directed. Yeah, and uh, I loved how they kept having people bring out birthday cakes because <laughs> sometimes that does happen yeah. when you're at restaurants, and yeah. you're like, "Come on, can't you just sing once?" Yeah, just once for everyone in this in this uh, restaurant. That was great. Beautiful girl, you're a lovely picture. Beautiful girl. Um, what did you think about Well, I thought they were pretty fabulous in this. That one, the evening dress that Margaret wore yeah. that had sort of, it was mostly strapless and it had sort of like an embellished strap. strap. Yeah. Um, that I thought, like, I would wear that today. Yeah. I mean, if I had a reason to wear an evening gown to go somewhere. <laughs> With a thin, embellished. Yeah, I remember that dress being stunning, but I also, I don't remember what her earrings looked like, but I, my note to myself about that outfit was that her earrings were ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I also was surprised in the scene where Susan goes up to um, Cary Grant's apartment and it falls asleep there, and she dresses up. Yeah. I was surprised by how grown up she made herself look by, like, putting up her hair and sort of putting on a suit and everything. Yeah. Um, it, you could really see a big difference. And I actually also liked the clothes she wore to school. It was sort of yeah. like twin set pencil mm-hmm. skirt, and I was thinking, I need to wear a twin set pencil <laughs> skirt. Where's my twin set <laughs> We should start wearing that around the office. Yeah. Um... 
There were a lot of great hats in this, too. Good, yeah, good hats. Good, like, basic outfits. All of Margaret's dresses were... They were fabulous. And I liked the scene also in the beginning of when she was putting on the judge's robes. Mm -hmm. And she kept adjusting her collar and trying to look perfect. Mm -hmm. And the uncle said, like... Um, off with the woman, on with the judge, or something yeah. like that. And yeah. I was like, there is something to like. You put on your uniform, and and it changes your mental space. Yeah, you're a different person. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness. Not. We by talked a little bit about the social justice aspect. Did you think this movie had a social justice bent? Um. I don't know. They're trying to rehabilitate a um, <laughs> a guy who keeps starting fights in <laughs> in nightclubs, um, and so there's that. And she's like obviously a judge who is pays attention to her clients or not her clients, her um, the people she's sentencing, and um, like so she appears to be a good judge. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, like when you're listening to people who are just like rich playboys punching people in clubs like it's, yeah. it doesn't require that much from you um i thought I it was interesting like you said the the role of the maid bessie i think mm-hmm. her name was i mean of course it's sad that in movies from this time you're mostly seeing people of color play servant roles but i did like that in the one scene in the beginning, mm-hmm. she asked her her she asked Bessie her opinion about the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so clearly she had some respect for her point of view. Yeah, there was at the beginning of the movie too. She when um, Susan is going around talking about how she feels too skunklish to do whatever. Like she says skunklish multiple times, and Bessie finally says, um, "When I went to school, they taught us to speak English," which. <laughs> Like, I think, as a modern viewer now, I, I watched it and felt, like, simultaneously, like, curious about who this character was that, like, you know, that she would have, you know, and not that, like, of course she went to school, I guess, but, like, that she would say something like that, and mm-hmm. that, um, you know, and that also, you know, I don't know, just to, like, think about what that character's experience of school might have been in the 1920s or whatever. It's sort of, like, heartbreaking and also, like, eye-opening. We want the Bessie biopic. That's right. (laughs) We should rewrite this movie from her point of view. Actually, that is a brilliant idea. (laughs) We, like... My annoying employers keep fighting and <laughs> making strange schemes to have a 40-year-old man date a 17-year-old. <laughs> She's like, I can't believe I have to deal with this. I don't think I'll do anything of importance that will displease you. But, Mother, from now on, you must give me complete freedom. How, what do you think Bechtel, Bechtel test-wise? What do you think? I would say that it passes because the sisters talk uh, I mean the sisters do talk a lot about things that are not just men yeah um, and even I mean even Bessie talking with them about like the case mm-hmm. and stuff like and that school and school like that. Yeah. yeah so I would say that it does I mean it's 
I think movies, this movie, even though Cary Grant is the love interest, it felt to me like the movie was much more about the relationship between the sisters. Yeah, and I, I agree. And the same as with Little Women, um, movies that are actually about female relationships tend to pass the Bechdel test, <laughs> whereas all the ones that are the romances do not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't thrilled with all the gender politics of this movie, but... Um, at least in that aspect, it I thought that it was somewhat feminist. Yeah. Um, so what would you rate it? I give it a resounding five. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, the whole five. <laughs> I think I would give it Shoring up all my nostalgic. I, know. I feel like I my honest rating's probably like a three point five. I enjoyed it a lot, but I don't know if without having like a long-term connection with it, I would rewatch it a ton of times. Um, But I thought it was really funny, and I really liked seeing Shirley Temple a little older Mm -hmm. and like using her comedic chops. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. It kept me from worrying about my plane going down for two hours. <laughs> a key, a key role for. Me to Did you notice, by the way, that the guy who played the principal in Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer plays the detective in Shop Around the Corner? I was okay. Thank you for saying that because I kept looking at him and being like, I know him from somewhere, yeah. but I couldn't put my finger on it. Shop Around the Corner. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you know, these little Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, the, all the supporting actors were really good in this, like, um, all the people in the court scene mm-hmm. who were sort of supposed to be, like, the, you know, the tarts and the uh, bouncer from the club. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just thought they were all great. Like, the all the accents were great. Yeah. Yeah, so great. Um, What's our next movie? So our next movie is a special request from a dear friend of mine who's been asking us for like two months to do this movie. So it is Now Voyager, which I believe is new to both of us. Yes. So until then, thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.